we have decided that we need to be a praying church. And so we have made the month of May a challenge for us that we would daily be going to the Lord in prayer. There's a blue calendar over on the table. You got one of those last week. If you were here, pick one up. If you, if you didn't get one, there's, there's a, an idea, kind of a prompt for prayer every single day. There's a passage of scripture for you to look at, to, to challenge you in your prayer life. We're going to talk today quite a bit about prayer and maybe answer some of the questions you have and maybe plant some questions that you never thought about. But before we get into that, I thought it'd be good to have Chris and Lori uh, share a word with us about prayer. I think it's mostly Lori, isn't it? That is correct, sir. <laughs> um, basically, um, I'm Chris, Chris Dozier. Um, it's my wife, Lori. Um, everything Lowell said, I was going to say, so I could just truncate what I... No, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's okay. Um, and, and cede the time to my wife. The one thing I would say, though, is that this whole praying thing, it's not just a monthly May thing. This has to become a part of us and should be a part of us as believers. Seriously. So I want that to sink into us as we pray through this month of May. And one part of what we want to do is have little testimonies going on here. And my wife has kindly volunteered to do this. So without further ado, here's Lori. Thank you. I just have to remember to keep breathing while I'm up here. Um, so Chris, I was sharing with Chris a few weeks ago um, some of my story or my prayer journey over the last 8 to 10 years, and he asked if I'd be willing to share it today. So I'm going to share a few things, and then at the end I'm going to encourage you or ask you to do a few things and then remind you of a, a few other items. Um, so we started attending Centerpoint back in 2010, about eight, to eight years ago, and within the first year, Chris had come to me and mentioned that he was thinking about um, joining Sunday mornings for prayer time at 8.30 a.m. So this was eight years ago. And, and to be honest, immediately in my mind, I was thinking, okay, well, you're going to have to take a separate vehicle because um, two reasons. One, I didn't think I would be able to get our daughters up and moving even earlier because we could barely make it here for focus and service on time together. Um, and two, I was really nervous to, to pray in front of others outside of my own family. So he did, I th- hopefully I was a little nicer to him when I said it that I was thinking in my mind. Um, but he did do it off and on occasionally on his own, and we did um, drive separately for a while. And then fast forward about one to two years ago, Roger, Roger Hendershot had said he wanted to, he came up here and, and spoke about prayer and said that he wanted to start the Sunday morning prayer team again and, and prayer time. And, and Chris and I both individually felt led to join that um, as individuals, but also as a couple. Um, and it's really blessed our life together. And I just wanted to share a few things that I've learned and we've learned together um, over the last couple years through prayer. Um, so we both felt that there was a sense of urgency and importance around prayer and we both now understand that it, it really is a privilege to come to God in prayer, um, individually and together. Um, and I also learned that it's okay to step outside of my comfort zone because I'm definitely more quiet and shy and introverted than my husband is. Um, so I've just tried to intentionally step outside of my comfort zone in er- different areas. Um, I also realized and learned that I didn't need to be a prayer expert or a professional 
um, to pray in front of others. Um, God doesn't have a evaluation checklist out and a little clipboard saying that Lori didn't pray good enough <laughs> this morning. And he's not, he's not saying things like, well, you know what? Lori Dozier didn't pray as holy as Joan Ripley this morning. He's just not doing that. That was all in my mind, and, and he's not doing that to me. I was doing it to myself. Um, and then also I learned that um, how I could look for my gifts or talents that God gave me, and I know that um, he's given me a gift in the area of administration so I started looking for ways in the prayer team and other areas where I could use that gift because that's where he's blessed me. Um, and then also I just, originally I wasn't going to speak to this, but I really felt led this week to also speak to those that are, that are married because prayer has been a big part of our marriage and has renewed our marriage on a regular basis. And I still remember the first time that Chris actually turned to me face-to-face and reached out his hand during a discussion, standing face-to-face, and grabbed my hand and said, we need to stop and pray. I've never forgot that day on what we were talking about or what we were praying on, and it really does change things. And I also would encourage um, the ladies that are in the room, too, that are married, that um, we don't have to always wait for our husband to do that. We can do that as well. I mean, there's been many times that I've stopped in the middle of a discussion and asked, and grabbed his hand and said, we need to stop and pray. And we need to pray for each other and with each other. And I know for me, it was really awkward at first, um, but it's important and it changes hearts and it can grow you closer to God and closer to each other. And it's important in, in our marriages. Um, and so that's what I wanted to share. Just a couple of things I wanted to encourage you about and remind you on is, um, of course, to pray daily um, this month that you draw closer to Jesus and also each other um, in your families and in this church family, um, as well as, too, to pray that he will reveal your gifts to you and look for ways to invest in our church body with, with those gifts. Um, and then as Lowell mentioned, the blue calendar, if you didn't get one last week, they're on the on the table. I did want to point out a couple things um, is at the bottom of the, the calendars, there's opportunities for small prayer groups throughout the month of May. And um, if you look even tomorrow, tomorrow evening out on the church property, Chris will be leading a time of prayer at 7 p.m. tomorrow evening on the church property. Um, and then today is the first Sunday of the month. Um, Chris Roger and myself, several others, actually go back on the first Sunday to the, the teacher's sound and pray during service as Pastor Lowe is bringing the message. So if anyone ever wants to join us, you could do that. We're doing that today. Um, or if you have a need, if you have a prayer request today and you need prayer, feel free to step out and come back and ask for prayer. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your grace that gives us a new start. And Lord, I just pray for for anybody that is challenged and pushed in their heart that they would recognize that's you calling to us that we might have a more intimate relationship with you through prayer. So Lord, open our hearts up now to your word as we enter into this spiritual battle. I pray that Satan would not snatch away the seed of the word, but instead, Lord, that you would plant that seed and water it, grow it, and that we would see you reap a harvest in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I want to uh, share a, a story with you that kind of illustrates prayer, and um, I feel obligated to say that uh, if you're listening, Joel, um, I've heard you tell this story before too, so it's okay that I'm telling it publicly. He sometimes listens. So a friend of mine, Joel and I, were in a great battle. Now, let me just say up front, heroes don't like to brag on themselves, okay? And so especially, you know, when you're a hero in a battle, like a war hero, hero we don't like to brag on those things. So I'm going to just let that go for just a few minutes here and, and talk to you about the great paintball battle of Inwood in 2006. Have you guys heard of that? No. Nobody. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, one person. <laughs> Have you played paintball before? Here's how it works. You've got a gun, okay, with an air tank on it, all right? And you, you, when you pull the trigger, it, you know, it, this burst of air flies out, and you, you shoot this small sort of plasticky pellet that is filled with paint, and when you hit something or someone, it, it splats. And so you get like this, you know, you get shot by a paintball, and you have a big splat of paint on you. And so you play these different types of games. You know, you might play, you know, if you're shot once, you're out, or you play like tag type games or like capture the flag type games. And, and I was a youth pastor at this time in my life. And I took a whole group of teenagers and we played paintball over in Inwood. And I had this young man with me. He was kind of large framed. Okay. And, and he had never done paintball before, before this day. And so I said, that's okay, Joel. You just hang out with me. I'll take care of you, okay? So, um, you know, we're in these battles. And, I mean, it's fun. You wear this mask. And, you know, you get, it hurts. If you haven't been shot with a paintball, it really hurts. I mean, on bare skin, it'll bring little tears to your eyes underneath that mask. It really will. And so Joel, the whole time, is hiding behind these barriers, you know. And, and he hasn't had the experience yet of being shot by a paintball. So our team is getting beat, all right? Our guys are getting, and gals are getting just wiped out. And, and it's now, it appears to me that it's down to me and Joel. And in this particular game, what happened is you had to get to the other side and shoot their captain. And if you killed their, well, shot their captain, then, then you won. And our captain's back here, and me and Joel. We're hiding behind this barrier. It's six feet tall at least because he's more than six feet tall. But, but we're there, you know, crouched behind the barrier. And I said, okay, Joel, this is what we're going to do. Are you ready to follow instructions? He's like, whatever you want me to do, Pastor Lowe. Whatever you want me to do. I said, all right, all right. Here's what I want you to do. When I count to three, I want you to run like you've never run before, Joel. I mean full steam. You run right at their captain. You just sprint towards them. He's like, well, where'd they shoot me? Ah, they're going to miss. Don't worry, Joel. They're going to miss. Well, where are you going to be? I'm like, Joel, I'm going to be right behind you. So that's where I was. So Joel takes off running up the field, you know, running. And there I am crouched behind him, okay, running behind him, you know. And, and I can see in my mind's eye what's happening. As Joel is running forward, and I'm crouched behind him, running behind him, I can see in my mind's eye that the whole other team, probably hundreds of people now, right? Okay, and they all reach up at once, and they fire away. And there's Joel running forward. In my mind's eye, of course, it's in slow motion. And Joel's there running, you know, and he's getting shot all over the place. And I'm behind him. Keep running, Joel. Keep running, Joel. Paint's just 
everywhere. And as we get forward and we're right at the captain, I reach around and go, killed the captain. I'm the victor. Paintball. Now that's pretend. But you sang a song about the Lord being a warrior. Do you feel like that's pretend? Or do you feel like it's real? Because in that game of paintball, I was doing what we need to do in the battle. I was hiding behind this big, powerful Joel. And he ran forward and took the wounds for me. And all I did, all I did was stand behind him. That's what we do in the battle, you guys. God isn't calling you to be some powerful knight that swings your sword with victory. He's not calling for you to be some green beret or navy seal that parachutes into enemy territory and you win the day. God doesn't need a warrior. He's already got one. It's himself. What he needs is us to stand in his strength, to stand in his might, and to follow closely behind him. And as we do, we're whispering to him, God, am I okay? Are we all right? Run forward, Joe, run forward. That's our role. Open up your Bible with me to Acts I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And let's see what this man of God writes about the spiritual battle that he's in. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole passage today, but we're going to really kind of drill down on just a couple of verses. But to get the full context, we're going to jump in at 6.10 and read the following. So Paul who, by the way, is in prison when he writes this, is being held captive. And here's what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul writes, that words may be given to me and open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Folks, we are in a battle. We are fitted for a battle. And all God calls for us to do is to stand. To stand. And the strength of his might. To not give up. To not quit. To not lay down. To not throw in the towel. To not just allow yourself to be a casualty on the battlefield. But to continue to stand. You know, we do see several battles in the Bible. We do. They're all through your Bible. And there's one in particular I want to just take a minute to remind you of. It's in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. You know that passage? I'll show you a picture. Maybe this will remind you. Okay? It's a battlefield in the wilderness. Now, that's not what you picture as a wilderness. But in Jesus' day, when the Spirit of God drove him to the wilderness, that's what it would look like. In Israel, the wilderness is a barren place. And in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, the gospel writers record this great battle that Jesus had with Satan. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, you can turn there if you want to, but I'll just kind of tell you the story. In Luke chapter 4, the Bible says that the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. And there he went with nothing to eat. He fasted For 40 days. And all during that time, Satan, not an equal but opposed force to God. No, don't view Satan that way. He is a created being who has rebelled against his creator. This world is in a civil war. And a created one... He's called Satan, the tempter. He's called the dragon. He's called, he's called the devil. All these different words. There in the wilderness, he came and tempted Jesus for 40 days. And as you read through the temptation, it, it shows us what God's plan is. Satan comes and attacks Jesus. Says, hey, take those stones. Turn them into bread. And then you have something to eat. Jesus responds with the word of God. Satan says, hey, all you got to do is bow down to me and I will give you all these powers, all these kingdoms will be yours. Satan says, no, I'm not going to do that. Or Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm only going to worship God. Back and forth this battle goes and every time we see what Paul calls us to in Ephesians 6. This standing strong in your identity. This dependent upon the word of God. And this intimacy we have with him. So let's walk through the Ephesians 6 passage. Let me remind you where we were, okay? Let me remind you where we were. We talked about this last week. I think I've got a slide here for you. Um, so here's a, here's a picture of a, um, one more please. Uh, here's a picture of a Roman soldier. This is, a, this is actually a, a, um, a statue in Ephesus that would have been about the day of Jesus, of Paul's living. This is about 50 A.D., when the dating of this statue, that gives you a picture of what a Roman soldier would have looked like. The very one that Paul could have been chained to. And Paul goes through, as he, as he looks at this Roman soldier, he talks about what we're supposed to enter into the battle, the spiritual battle, and have in our mind. 
Ephesians 6 describes it, if you want to follow along with me as we, as we review where we were last week. First of all, we see that, that Satan is going to attack, yes, but he starts out with this girded yourself with a, your, gird your loins with a belt. We talked about this last week. That, that are, that, what that means is the, the Roman soldier would often wear, really, it, you could think of it as a skirt in a lot of ways. And when you would go into battle, he would take that thing and wrap it around his legs and bring it up and tie a belt around his waist to hold up this garment so he doesn't get tripped up in his daily life attire. Listen, folks, we've got to recognize the number one way that Satan in our culture works. Now, if we picked up and went to another culture that was much more open to the spiritual world than what we are, to other sort of manifestations of the spiritual world, it would look very different. But in the American culture, if you saw somebody's head spin around or saw some kind of a weird activity, you would run away. So that's not the way that Satan attacks here. He attacks simply through distraction. Distraction. And that's what this belt girding up is about. Paul was saying, don't get so distracted by the world that you're a casualty in the battle. Can you recognize that many of us struggle with that? We get so distracted in so many things. Our feet are all wrapped up in the attire of the day that we're not in any battle. We're laying on the ground. There, there doesn't need to be any effort against us. We're so wrapped up in the straitjacket of the decisions that we have made that we're not in the battle. We're not in the battle. Hebrews says that we are to cast off these weights that so easily entangle us. This sin that so, in ease, it so easily entangles Careful where your priorities are. The belt of truth is saying, allow yourself to live for what matters. Invest your life in the things of God. You are here. You are, you are waiting for Jesus to come. And the thing that he's waiting for, you might say, you might say with me, Sometimes things happen in this world. I see things that break my heart. And I say, God, why don't you come back? Anybody else feel that way at times? A few of us. Why don't you come back? You know God answers that question? He answers that question. In 2 Peter chapter 3. You know why he doesn't come back? Because he's not willing that people would perish. That's why. So when you, like me, cry out to God in anguish, God, did you please just come back? His answer is, I'm waiting. Because I don't want people to perish. So don't get wrapped up. Gird up the attire of the day. I got to move a little faster. Breastplate of righteousness, okay? This was that we live a life submitted to Christ. We live a righteous life. That when we sin, because we're going to, 1 John 1, 8, when we sin, if you claim to be without sin, the, the, the gospel's not in you, the light's not in you. 
But when we do sin, we confess our sins to God, who is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is the protection against the evil one. The primary way that, Jesus, that Satan attacks us as a culture is through distraction. But the primary way that he attacks you as an individual is just lead you right into sin. Lead you right into sin. You say, what does that matter? When I sin, or when you sin, yes, God will forgive you. But your fellowship is broken with God. The Spirit of God is now not going to be indwelling and filling you. That is, he will indwell you, but not filling you and controlling you. You break that filling when we succumb to temptation. So be careful there. Foot prepare with peace. Well, that means is I know who I am, and so I will go into the battle not afraid that I'm going to lose my salvation, not afraid that I'm going to lose my fellowship with God. And the shield of faith we dealt with last week, this was this idea that, that Satan fires things at us. Okay, Now again, let me just be clear. I do not, I do not in any way believe that Satan is running around your house Okay, and he's like sneaking up behind you and trying to, you know, throw a dart at you. That's not that's not what Paul means here. He's talking about the system that opposes God, that is led in rebellion against God by this person personality Satan, and his his means of doing that is to attack the character of God. So the shield of faith is my understanding of the character of God. And so last week we used the washing machine. You know what's ironic? Two people told me last week, if you were here with us last week, okay? Two people told me last week that their washing machine overflowed into their house. Remember last week I was like, hey, washing machine, we'll use that because that doesn't happen to anybody, right? Two people it happened to. Sorry about that. I didn't have you in mind. But my point, if you remember, was this. When bad things come your way, when bad things come your way, don't believe your flesh. Don't believe the world. Don't believe the demonic force that says God isn't good. That said God isn't trustworthy. That says God has abandoned you. The shield of faith is a means of protection against those lies. That says, I know God is good. I know God will never leave me, never forsake me. I know that nothing can snatch me from his hand. You see, we hide behind this shield of the faith of who God is. Our thoughts accuse us, don't they? Are you accused by your thoughts or am I the only one? Do your thoughts come and accuse you and accuse God? That is warfare. Know it. Know it. I, re- I remember having to learn what, what, the, what the enemy's forces look like. I remember learning what a, what a Russian tank looked like, what a, what a Russian personnel carrier looked like, so that if I saw it in the distance, I would recognize it and know what I was supposed to do. you got to recognize the enemy's attacks. That's not your imagination. That's not, that's not truth that's coming to your mind. That is the, the enemy of God coming 
and you extinguish that dart with the shield of faith. Okay, so now we get to where we are today. Um, So let's talk about the helmet of salvation, okay? Now this is knowing that you are God's chosen child. The helmet of salvation. So we have this, so Paul uses this picture of a helmet placed on your head. And it, and it protects, really, the, the Roman soldier wore a helmet because what he was trying to avoid was the death blow of the broad sword. That's why they wore a helmet. They come with that big sword and just, you know, bash somebody's head in and they're dead. And so when Paul says, wear the helmet of salvation, this is knowing whose you are. If you're in Christ, you are his eternally. There is no blow of Satan or anybody else, a neighbor, a friend, an enemy, a family member. There is no blow from them that can take that away. The helmet of salvation reminds me that no matter what may come, no matter what may come, I am God's. I remember when I was in basic training, it was tough. You know, they make you do push-ups and run and all this kind of stuff. And me and this buddy had this friend named Milligan, Jason Milligan. And we had this little line. And I've said this to some of you that that had run off the basic training. We used to always say this. It was our little, like, inside little joke. We would say, hey, what are they going to do? Beat us with a rubber hose? Now, that doesn't mean much to you, but it meant the world to us. What it meant was... All they can do is make me do push-ups. I can do push-ups all day long. It's not going to hurt. Listen, no one can take God away from you. That's the helmet of salvation. Fill up your head with the knowledge of God and who you are in Christ. Don't be discouraged. Don't doubt your salvation. If you are in Christ, you are his. You know, listen to this. The enemy of God is trying to convince, now hear this, he is always trying to convince unbelievers that they're saved and trying to convince believers that they aren't. Think about that. That's the attack of the enemy and that's where the helmet of salvation comes in. The enemy of God is trying to convince humans who are unsaved that they're fine. Oh, come here, let me tickle your ears. And he's trying to convince believers that God has abandoned them and they're not in him. See, either one of those remove you and me from the spiritual battle that we're in. Moving along, moving along. Okay, then he comes to the sword of the spirit. Now, I will say a word about this sword. There was several different swords, but this one is a close combat weapon. It's about two feet long but two inches wide. This is, so this is no big, long Conan the Barbarian sword. That's not what this is. This is, like a, this is like a bayonet type of a thing, okay? And the whole idea was this sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the word of God, is for the use of the daily battle. It's interesting. I won't go into it, but the word here used for the word of God is, is unique, and so, this, so what, what commentators understand is that this is, this is God's word that you have placed in your mind, that you have stored away in your spirit, that when the battle rages, you draw it out. It's Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy three times in the temptation of Satan. 
It's me saying, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. That's Bible. It's me saying, nothing can snatch me from the hand of God. That's John 10, 28. That's Bible. It's me saying, I will be sanctified and avoid all sexual morality. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. That's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Can you imagine a Roman soldier showing up for, in platoon? You know, he comes around and out in their squad. Okay? He's got his helmet on, his shield in his hand, his feet are all ready, belt all tied up. And all over walks the drill sergeant. This used to happen all the time. Private, where is your sword? Oh, goodness. He runs back, you know, push-ups, all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine a Roman soldier going into battle without that thing? You struggling with sin? You struggling with living for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man? Put God's word in your heart. Be in God's word. That's not pastor talk, that's Bible talk. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Without it, you're you're that fool running out on the battlefield with no sword. No sword. And your shield is worthless anyway because that's all about the word of God. And you're not going to believe your your salvation is secure because that's found in the word of God. Your, your, your dress is going to be all over the place. You're going to be tripping all over the place because you haven't girded up your garment. And you're going to be just blatantly, your, your, your breastplate of righteousness gone because you'll fall into sin. It's the word of God, folks. This is not just a book. It's God's word to us. And then the last thing, which is supposed to be the biggest thing today, um, was Prayer. Prayer. Let's see what the passage says, okay, because it's significant. Paul here says about prayer, uh, he says quite a few things about it, okay? He says this, verse number 19. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me. Now, first of all, I, I want you to notice. It's, I tried to emphasize four times the idea of all is expressed. Now, what's interesting about this prayer aspect is it is a little different than the six pieces of the armor. Okay? The, the way the language works, there is no verb attached to prayer. There is no main verb. All throughout the rest of the passage, there has been. Okay, the breastplate of rights, well, I'm sorry, the breastplate of rights, the shield of faith. Okay, these are things that we are engaging in. But prayer is through them all. It's almost like God is saying, it is, it is God is saying, the belt of truth enforced with prayer. The breastplate of rights enforced with prayer. The shield of faith enforced with prayer. It's why Paul says, in all, in all, in all, in all, four times. He says, in all, in all, we're going into prayer. Now, I want to take a minute and talk about this. And What's the big deal about prayer? See, I I tell you, I'll confess to you that I struggled in my life to understand prayer because to me, there was a time in my life when to me it felt like people were telling me to pull a magic rabbit's foot out of my pocket. You know? 
I'm running late. I don't want any red lights. So pull out your prayer, you know, magic rabbit's foot, and rub it. Oh, God, I don't want any red lights. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. You can do it. I jump in my car and green lights all the way. It worked. I'm just like, that's ridiculous. It's too petty for that to be God. It's too petty. So then I stumbled onto this passage. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Go to Luke chapter 7 with me. And this might be all I get to today. Might be all the Lord wants us to hear. I'm sorry, Luke 11. Luke 11. I want to first deal with our prayerlessness. Our prayerlessness. Listen to this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 7, 11, that is. In verse number 10, he says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Think about that. What kind of an evil man is this? Daddy. Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, can can you give me some fish? Sure, son. Watch this, guys. Here you go. Have this fish. And hands him a scorpion? I bump into that guy. I'm probably going to punch him in the mouth, you know. What a jerk. And it continues. Or if he asked for an egg. First he gave him a serpent, I'm sorry. He asked for an egg, he'll give him a scorpion. So his daughter stumbles out of the bedroom in the morning. Dad, can you make me a fried egg sandwich? Sure, honey. There's a scorpion into the frying pan, right? What kind of a jerk does that? So Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Lord used this passage to teach me something about prayer. First of all, some of us are, we don't pray because quite honestly, we are too proud to request We are too proud to request. We need to be like this child. This comes to the heavenly father and says, can I have something to eat? God, can you you work in my life? I want to be used of you, Lord. Will you work? But we're too proud. I struggle with this. I struggle to ask for help. I do. It's a battle in my life. I was taught that as a child. You don't ask for help. You do it yourself. So I let that come into my relationship with the Lord. That's not all. Some of us don't know what to even ask for. We don't know what to ask for. The child knew to ask for an egg or a piece of fish. And Jesus is saying, you know, you as a child, you know what to ask your father for. Some of us don't even know what to ask for. And you know what we're asking for? We're asking for cars. We're asking for houses. 
We're asking for things to spend on ourselves. And James says, you don't have because you ask amiss that you can spend it on your own selfish needs. We don't know what, we don't know what to ask for. We might be afraid to even request. This child is coming to his father and saying, oh God, oh dad, do this. But the thing that strikes me the most is look what Jesus says. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see what Jesus says the heavenly father will give? He's he's not going to give you. He's not in the business of giving you green lights. He's not in the business of making your team victorious today. Sorry. That's not what he's doing. He's not in the business of of giving you some great pay raise so then you can, you know, whatever. Spend it on yourself. That's not what God is doing. What he does is he gives himself to those who are asking. He gives himself. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who are asking. Who are saying, oh God, give me this thing. And God says, you don't want that thing. You want me. You want me. That's what you want. You don't want this thing to spend on yourself. You want me. And he says, oh, my special child, I know you're not even sure what to ask for. That's okay. I'll pray for you. Romans chapter 8. I'll pray for you. We don't know what to ask. The Spirit of God prays, intercedes for us. And the answer is him. See, he doesn't take you away from the battle. He's not going to take away your sickness or your challenge or the child that breaks your heart or the marriage that just falling apart. He might not take any of that away. But what he will give you is him. So now I'm on the battlefield. And I'm hiding behind the big guy. And I'm close. I'm close. See, I had my hand on Joel. I wanted to get away from me. No way. I'm holding him right here. I'm close. As we go into the battle. And so the paintballs hit him, not me. God offers his spirit. He offers himself to his warriors. So we will what? Stand. Stand. God offers us the greatest thing that he could ever give himself. That's what we learn here from this spiritual battle, this this account of what God intends. Now, the only way that comes our way is through the gospel. See, that's the only way we enter into this relationship is we come through Christ. So I want to encourage you, if you're in the battle today, okay, stay here. If you're in the battle today, And you feel it, okay? You feel it. You feel worn out. I know what it is to be worn out from the battle. I've been worn out before. And I imagine, I know, some of you feel worn out. You've been laboring. You need R&R, you think. But really what you need is Him. You need the Spirit of God. And prayer, 
praying in all circumstances, all that's indicating to us is our intimacy with him. So James says this. Here comes shield of faith, empowered by the word of God. So James says this. Draw near to God. Pull him close. You know what God says he'll do? And God will draw near to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your work. Father, I thank you that you are our captain. You are our warrior. You are the victor. And Lord, as we worship you in just a few moments through song, I pray, Lord, that we will allow it to just continue to reverberate into our lives. Lord, that we will draw upon the great wealth of your presence, that you're with us. Whatever battle anybody's in right now, whatever, whatever discouraging thing is coming somebody's way, for the person that thinks they might want to quit, Lord, I pray they would draw close to you and you would give them the thing that they need that before today they might not even thought to ask for. It's not an egg. It's not a piece of food. It's you, the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Amen.